Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Arduino Edubition podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We are your hosts, Roxana and Melissa from Arduino Education. If you haven't yet, subscribe now to get notifications when a new episode is published and I never miss one. Exactly. And this week we celebrate World Space Week and today we will talk about miniature satellites that historically were developed as training projects to expose students to the challenges of real-world engineering practices and system design, the CubeSats. And given their affordability and short development life cycles, CubeSats use has rapidly spread within business, industry, and of course within academia, offering students a true hands-on experience in designing, developing, testing, and operating a real spacecraft system. Yep. And to learn more about CubeSats, we have two guests, Matt Scott, Secondary STEM Coordinator, and Andrew O'Brien, STEM Curriculum Advisor from New South Wales Department of Education in Australia, both with passion for all things aerospace. They will tell us well about Protosat, a STEAM teaching program developed by the New South Wales Department of Education's secondary curriculum team in collaboration with the University of New South Wales, Canberra Space and Thunderstruck Space. Welcome, Matt and Andrew. Hi, thanks, thanks for, for joining. Us. Thank you. In our podcast, we usually have this uh, friends booth section where we have some, uh, we have five, five questions that are not maybe related to the topic of the day, but are the same for all the guests. And we can have, for example, always if first one, for example, Matt, if you answer that, and then we take the second one for Andrew. So yeah, sure. if we start, we start with that and then we go more into what is STEM and what is the Protosat project. Yeah. Sounds so good. Matt, what makes you feel inspired? I, I feel like a little kid sometimes. And what makes me feel is, uh, inspired <laughs> are those things that, um, get me excited again, or or not again, but get me excited. Um, I, I was lucky enough to um, I was lucky enough to attend space camp in Huntsville in the US a couple of years ago, and to be able to engage in those um, space themed um, STEM learning activities and uh, astronaut space related activities, um, it really got me thinking about what I was passionate about when I was a kid. Um, and I was lucky enough to be given um, a copy of a book um, by my grandmother, which was about space. It was written by a distant cousin and he'd signed it for me. Um, and he'd written it about space travel and shuttles and and one of the Australian astronauts that travelled into space. And, and, and so that recent experience I've had around um, the opportunities for learning in and around space uh, really inspired me to get back to those things that made me excited as 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 a kid um, with my learning and reminded me how impactful you know uh, learning activities that make you feel that way can be in the classroom. And so while I may not be currently in a classroom, I'm a non-school based teacher at the moment. You, you just you can't leave that stuff behind, and so. You know, the, the CubeSat was um, an opportunity for us to take some emerging technology that's in classrooms, um, you know, Arduinos, microcontrollers, sensors, match it up with a pretty exciting um, topic like space, but then to actually do something that um, and replicate things that, you know, would happen in the real world, like that experience for me at Space Camp. You know, it just all started to come together. So um, 
you know, anything that flies, anything that leaves the earth is is pretty um, motivating and inspiring for me. And I'm, you know, and I'm hoping that um, through the unit of work that Andrew and I have worked on, we can um, ignite that passion in in young people. And you know, Australia's now got its own space agency, and one of their early goals is to um, is to inspire young people to create the workforce that will be needed. Um, as as that space agency grows, and Andrew and I are really hopeful that our unit of work can um, you know can help inspire others like it's inspired me, but then also have down the track that you know impact on um, employment or training or even the economy for you know through the young people that participate in in our unit of work. Yeah. So for them to be able to really learn the skills that are needed then in after they're done with their studies. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Cool. And uh, Andrew, any people, books, resources that have been particularly influential influential for you? I don't know about particular. I'm I'm just someone that's always diving in and learning like uh online libraries. Um so technical libraries. The, the the various uh, YouTube channels that um, subscribe to. I, I don't know if I have a particular thing, but it, pretty much anything to do with um, Raspberry Pis, Arduinos, microcontrollers, sensors, data connections, IoT. I'm, I'm just constantly trying to, you know, get a handle on it and understand it a bit better. And I just love tinkering and making stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're trying out all the different things. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And it's true you, you, that now that things changes so fast, you need to keep up and keep learning, 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 because there's always something new. So Absolutely. Yeah. Then uh, for Matt, uh, what's one thing you wish you'd known when you began your gear, career? That's a great question. I, I didn't actually, um, when I went into university, I didn't head into teaching. I, I headed into information technology. Um, I wish I knew how rewarding a teaching career would be before I went to uni. You know, I I, I didn't find that out until I, I actually got into classrooms. I started to work with young people and being a technology teacher and, and teaching things like design, teaching woodwork, metalwork, computing and electronics, you know, that the joy that you take from seeing someone who has a problem and then realizes a solution for it and you see that light bulb moment i wish i knew about that before i before i made some serious life choices um because that's the bit for me about teaching it's it's unlocking the passion it's unlocking the problem solving and then and then seeing seeing what that looks like in the face of a young person that solves that problem uh, I wish I knew that earlier because I probably would have went straight into teaching straight out of straight out of school, and it might have saved me a, f- a few years. <laughs> but, but that's fine. Now, now you're here. And then we have one more question. I think both of you can answer yes. this one because this is always really interesting. Um, tell us something interesting about yourself. Most people don't know. Um, you know, most most people are going to know that um, that I, I still play with Lego as a 43 year old. Um, and I, 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 I scour the internet looking for replacement parts for, for Lego that I had as a kid or never had the opportunity to have as a, as a kid. Um, 
you know, so uh, and anyone that knows me probably does know that they'll walk into my house and see that I've got Lego lying everywhere. And um, that's probably not the best kept secret, but it, it might be an interesting fact for, for people that are tuning in today. Yeah. So it's you fighting with the younger students. Who's gonna get, yeah, and who's going to get <laughs> <Young> that? <children. laughs> that's right. Don't touch that one. It's worth too much that's money. Mine. <laughs> What about yeah? What about Andrew? It's it's not really interesting. It's just that uh, I appreciate drinking good coffee, uh, but sadly I can't make a good coffee. <laughs> it, it's hard, right? <laughs> oh, look, you know, coffee, yeah. like, oh, it's perfect. My yeah. dream to be a barista after teaching. Yeah. Ah, okay. The okay. coffee one. that I haven't had to make myself is usually a pretty good coffee. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> or you can like build a coffee machine with an Arduino or something, and that's well, that, nice. that leads into the myth, isn't it? Good teachers <laughs> don't have free time. Good answers. Good answers. Yes. Awesome. Now let's talk about our like today's topic. Yeah. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. So as we said, Matt Scott, your secondary STEM coordinator and Andrew O'Brien, your STEM curriculum advisor. Mm -hmm. For our audience, there might be someone who doesn't know what is STEM and why is it important? So STEM is an acronym which stands for science, technology, engineering and mathematics. And if we trace back this idea of combining or or teaching these um, the content of these topic areas in a complementary way, we tend to trace it back to the space race in the 60s um, where JFK got up in, in the US and talked about a space race and reaching the moon in less than 10 years. And for that to happen, it would have been a huge um, scientific and engineering endeavour. And, and, and so common opinion is that that's when this idea of teaching STEM and targeting science um, and engineering specifically um, with with the support of mathematics is is a way that we can accelerate um, achievements or you know learning and then achievements through that process. And then if we look in the 90s, um, I think it might have been the Science Teachers Association of, of America were looking at an acronym which was SMET and it didn't have the same ring, but had all the same letters and that was shuffled around a STEM. And so the idea being that when we're teaching students, if we're looking for the opportunities where, um, if we're teaching something in science, if we're looking where the complementary um, content is in mathematics and we're highlighting that at the same time with students, that um, making those connections can lead to a deeper understanding of the things that we're talking um, talking about or teaching about or instructing about. The idea being that if we can create those connections and we can deepen the understanding, we can learn more things because we're seeing the connections between them all. And um, I guess when we're, we're talking um, integrated STEM, we're talking about using a project-based learning pedagogy to go with that. So in a modern classroom, we might be teaching um, we're, we're teaching our students to solve a problem which might be based in a real world real world situation. We might be trying to tackle something like food security or um, safety of individuals, of access of individuals to, to certain places. So we're trying to solve a problem that's relevant to their lives 
um, either locally or globally um, or in the community. Um, we're looking to do that by um, creating some sort of a project which has elements of science learning, technology learning, engineering learning and mathematics learning. And then at the end, through that PBL process, project-based learning process, we want students to uh, reflect on what they've done, reflect on the learning that's happened along the way and present their solution to the problem to an audience. Um, and, you know, we've, we've taken that approach with our ProtoSat unit where we've looked to um, leverage as many of those learning experiences um, in, in some sort of contextual situation where students make uh, a project that will hopefully solve a problem for them. Um, and then we'd love them to present that um, final solution to, um, you know, to some people um, either in their local area or to an audience that has knowledge in the subject matter they're working with. That might be through an elevator pitch or some sort of presentation, or it could be through a design portfolio or an engineering report as well, depending on the project. So in a nutshell, to answer your question, what is STEM? It's an integrated approach of, um, of teaching science, technology, engineering, and mathematics to students. Um, the, the real push for STEM re in recent times has been around the economic um, prerogative. So... Um, Certainly, there's been research done in Australia that shows that there's been a decline in students taking high-level science and mathematics courses, both at high school and also at university. And as a result, um, we don't have enough engineers to fill the jobs that we have here in Australia. You know, we're having to import people, um, you know, import skilled workers. And so if we can encourage our students to aim for higher levels of science, mathematics, engineering, get them into university, get them into those rewarding jobs. They can, um, you know, they can help make Australia a better place to live uh, through the work that they can do in, in those fields. And um, I guess the, the key bit I didn't mention when I was talking about integrated STEM was the other E word, which is engagement. You know, and we can tap into a real world scenario, the altruistic feeling of students to want to make the world a better place or or make their community better for the people that live there. We can tap into that as a sense of engagement and hook the kids in when they're not looking into how much fun you can have learning about science and math. Mm. Yeah. And having these meaningful projects that, mm. yeah, they can solve themselves. And like, like you said, it's they get to present sometimes the ideas to the locals or even maybe test it with real users to really that's get right. the feedback if it's working. Mm. So it's and not And that's just authentic. Something. The the key is mm. the authentic learning experience. You know, often as teachers, we've we've experienced students that have said to us, Why do I need to know this? Exactly. You know, why do I have to learn this? Well, if we can point to that learning and where it will help them elsewhere in their learning while at school or the impact that this learning can have on their life after school um, or, you know, to society in general. I, I think um, if we can make that clear, that can help us engage students in their learning. Yeah, that's very interesting. When I was at the school, I always said that while I'm learning this, I, I couldn't see the correlation of what I was learning with the real life. So... So yeah, it's very interesting. And, and now you talk about the many benefits of STEM and project-based learning, but what are the challenges also of STEM education? Costs can often scare schools or teachers off too. You know, it can be expensive to implement some programs. 
you know, if, if you want to put an Arduino kit in, in front of every student, that's, that's really expensive. Um, it's achievable for some schools, but it may not be for others. Um, Andrew and I have taken an approach in ours that it, it's sort of a group approach. So you would have, you know, you may have three students collaborating, each bringing a different strength. So you might have one student that's great at coding and he can, he or she can bring along the other two um, who might be better at some of the other things as well. But um, Andrew and I are big believers of, um, you know, the technology part of STEM is just one part of it. Um, you know, we're often creating STEM learning experiences as samples that just rely on really low cost materials because the learning experience is about the data you gather or, or the problem solving process you go through. You know, you it, it, as a woodwork teacher, you know, we're used to having one shot at making something from timber because timber is expensive. If you get it wrong, you've just got to make it smaller. But when you're using low-cost materials, you can screw up multiple times and keep getting better and a better solution, a better solution multiple times. And that's an experience that um, that opened my eyes when I moved into the STEM space, that I could I could try and dissolve that fear of failure that, that I see in some students that won't attempt something first time because if they get it wrong, they feel like they've failed. But it's okay to fail. You know, fail is first attempt in learning. It's another acronym. And so if we can create in our STEM classes that environment where have a go, see what happens. If it doesn't work out, that's actually a good thing because we can sit back. Why didn't it work? Solve that problem. Go again and have a better result. Um, when we can provide those ideation opportunities, it's, it's great. So if we're talking challenges, um, the perceived fear of failure that some students might bring into the classroom can be a challenge as well too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I recognize that. And it's most likely that you actually learn more if you have to do some troubleshooting or if it's not working the first time. Don't underestimate the success that getting the blink sketch to work on an (laughs) Arduino can have. I've seen some absolute joy from such a simple operation you know such a simple activity um it's 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 why we do what we do want to see how the protosat project and high altitude tests look like tune in this thursday 7th of october 5 p.m central european summertime for edivision live show on arduino social media channels we will also present a solar system tracking project that you can create following our tutorial remember to share your arduino projects on arduino.cc education edivision and you can get Arduino goodies. Now, let's get back to the episode with Matt Scott and Andrew O'Brien. In in certain stages or, or grades, we we don't uh, actually have syllabus um, documents for STEM as such. We we rely on the various um, core subject, you know, the science, the technology, and and the maths and engineering syllabuses. So there's not actually one um, sort of succinct document that we can just grab this is the stem subject um having said that that is also a opportunity um and when listening to matt there i I was thinking challenges um i've seen when we've been trying to write new material or, or come up with a a better way of doing a unit um we're about actually challenging preconceived ideas of what stem is and um what what the initial idea was trying to achieve 
So I, I, I found great satisfaction in actually having the, in rewriting or, or modifying a unit to make the technology not the end goal. It's, it's the thing that you learn and, and um, try to master along the way to solve some other problem and and reframing um you know curriculum like that has like uh i suppose the challenge that that precedes that is how how people actually um their their preconceived ideas of what stem is and and not taking in the fact that there could be multiple different like matt alluded to it with the different uh, models of stem implementation um, there's so many different ways to actually do it um, that are still legitimate, um, but they they don't necessarily rely on having to have the technology first and foremost. Yeah. And you've already mentioned a few times now the Protosat project that you've both been working with. Could you explain us a bit more? What is it about? What is the goal of this project? Yeah, sure. Um it's sort of in line with what's happening in Australia at the moment with a growing space industry and a new space agency. Um, previously, satellites were large, very expensive, they were put out of reach of a lot. You know, it was only government or governments really that were launching satellites. Um, but with micronization and technology becoming smaller, that's given us things like, like the Arduino boards that we can use as my, the microcontrollers in our classroom, text becomes smaller. So all of a sudden we can make a functional satellite a lot smaller. Um, so we're looking at doing in a classroom what are other organisations here in Australia and indeed around the world are doing um, and creating a model 1U CubeSat, which is a standard size. It's 100 millimetres cubed. Um, we're getting students to make um, a weather CubeSat that will measure, will take measurements and, and gather data around the weather around it. Um, but we're doing that by following an engineering design process, which is modelled on what happens in the real world, specifically um, what happens at um, University of New South Wales, Canberra's um, space. Um, which has their, uh, that organisation has the largest um, CubeSat development program in the country and um, also home to a rapid ideation facility where, you know, they can design and um, pro virtually prototype a CubeSat in seven days. So what do we want students to do? Uh, we want students to take a microcontroller with some sensors design some code to sample some weather and store it somewhere. Then we want them to design and build a CubeSat rack that will hold that equipment um, and that will withstand uh, the challenges of going into space, the thermal challenges, the vibration challenges, the shock challenges. So we, we want them to design some experiments to prove that their CubeSat's flight ready. And we also want them to gather some local data. And so we can um, look at that data, we can organise that data, and then we can um, tell the story that the data is telling us as well too. That's a little bit of a nutshell of, of what the CubeSat program is. 
Um, what what key bits did I leave out there, Andrew? Uh, nothing. You, you touched on all the stages. Um, I was just going to say, I think the the thing that we um, and you know we'll talk it up ourselves, but I think the thing we were successful in doing was um, we found the right level of abstraction to parallel our process with what was what would happen in industry with what would happen in 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 space industry so we like uh, you know we 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 don't have it exactly like they do it you know we, we but students will get a very good understanding of the process and the thinking for what they need to do and i, I suppose it's developing the skills of thinking to solve problems which are very much in line with what um, space science has has to deal with. Um, I, the only thing I could think that might have um, been in the list there was the reason why they why we were gathering weather data in the first place. Mm -hmm. But um, that that's part of what one of the main reasons why they have CubeSats, or it's um, one of the earlier reasons, I guess. There are more reasons coming online all, all the time if you look at the, the literature. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's that's the thing. We How we tried to map the process mm. to follow it from start to finish and um, give students an opportunity to, to think. One of the exciting parts of that process for me was Online, we found a document that NASA's produced, which is basically CubeSats 101. And it literally gives you a guide on how to go from start to finish with a CubeSat. And I think it's sort of designed for, you know, um, university teams as, as well as whether it's a startup or an organisation that do do want to, to launch CubeSats. Um so Andrew mentioned before where we get together and we we thrash out our ideas and our intentions and how we want to go from A to B. We we looked at this document and go, what are the really cool things that are in here that we could do with some students? And then, you know, I reflected on my experience. What, you know, what what do I know kids like doing? I know boys like breaking stuff. How can we implement breaking stuff experiences into this? The exciting bit was that we we mapped out some of these ideas. And, you know, we, we travelled down to UNSW Canberra Space and, and checked out their facilities and we spoke with their technicians and their engineers working on the university's uh, CubeSats that that um, they do launch. And, you know, we've we've looked at the things that they do and the, the, the testing they do and we said, well, here's our plan. This is what we want to do with students. How far off the mark are we? And interestingly... They said it's a thing. Yeah, they said, oh, that's actually a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it, we, we have to do that. You know, we have to heat our make... system up to this temperature and run it for a while to see if it works yeah. under extreme heat and then cold. So, you know, you guys could do that too. Um, yeah, just uh, get an esky and put some ice bricks in it and see how long <laughs> it'll run at a lower temperature. Or um, shake it don't, around. Don't tell mum, but sneak into the kitchen and put it into the oven on low. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, look, they were as they were as enthusiastic with the suggestions as what we were, which was which was a really exciting space to be in, and um, and to see that 
there's an absolute correlation between the experiences that we're providing for the students through this unit of work and what they would do if they attended UNSW Canberra, um, you know, as an aeronautical engineer or an electro, uh, you know, electronics engineer or, or whoever it might be working on those processes, you know, they, you know, they, while the level of tech might be different, the, the process and the experience yeah. is, is very much parallel. Yeah, they would be already familiar with the design process and mm. prototyping. Yeah, and it it gets it gets back to the uh, sorry, Andrew. I was just going to say it gets back to the, you know, the decadal plan that the Australian Space Agency's got, and it's about you know enriching um, and engaging students in space careers. Well, I, I think we've done a pretty good job, um, pretty good job of that, based on you know access to what we've got around us and. A key part of um, us going with the Arduino for our um, sample unit was that previously um, coding and digital technology outcomes like uh, like networking, communications and coding, they were implemented in New South Wales for the first time as a mandatory part of the course in technology for all Year 7 and 8 students, so for 13, 14-year-olds. And so through a previous iteration of professional learning, lots of schools had Arduino kits in their school for students to use. Mm. And, um, and I sh- we probably should have mentioned this at the start, but we'd had many conversations with, with teachers going, you know, I've done that program that, you know, was done with the Arduinos early on. We're just, the kids aren't quite into it. We're looking for something else to do. You know, and I'm sort of thinking space, CubeSats, oh, there's a heap of Arduinos lying around in schools. The, the cost will be quite low to do something like this. Um, so that was uh, that was another reason why we ended up where we did. Sorry for cutting you off there, Andrew. I got a bit excited again. No, no, that's right. I I was just thinking, you know, when we got them to do the, well, we, we called it the shake and bake stage yep. of the project. They, um, we didn't actually, we don't actually tell the students in that, in that phase. It's a two week block of the, of the whole unit where, um, they've got to choose a um, an investigation. They've got to, they've got to design the investigation. They've got to work out how they can test for, and, and we we get the teachers that they have prompts to you know whether it's going to be thermal or whether it's going to be vibration. It's the idea of linking. Well, what what's going to happen to a CubeSat on its you know launch and and the operating conditions that it's going to be, you know, environmental conditions mm-hmm. um, and and sort of, okay, well, how can we test that the thing's going to work if we were to actually send it up into low earth orbit? Um, so it's about them trying to work out ways that they can actually come up with some sort of um, investigation, um, make a, a rig that might shake the, the thing until it falls apart or find out what at what point does their their CubeSat rig actually fall apart um, or, or does it how long how long does it have to shake for based on the duration of a launch yeah and and does it does it sit within the threshold that we need it to sit within you know tell, it needs to be able to last this long can you can you design something that will actually do it and if it fails the first time go back and relook at your design and and rejig it and try again that's why there's a nice two-week block there where they can do those investigations and then come up, uh, present their their findings. So uh, another opportunity for them to share what they've learnt 
and um and and it yeah as i said it doesn't have to they could do thermal they could do vibration um i can think whether we there were some others but they're the main two um it depends because you're thinking most there was the shock test take, too shock to impact impact yes, but um Throw it off the balcony and see if it survives <laughs> it's not <laughs> he keeps mentioning throwing off the balcony don't throw it off the balcony it's an arduino you look after it <laughs> no they're all gonna do it yeah like people do crazy stuff with the arduino so they throwing do. like from the balcony i think it's going to be safe and um is there any specific skill or there's some uh, previous knowledge that students should have before starting with this program? Ideally, we'd, we'd love our students to be competent with a level of coding when they move into it. And certainly where, where our syllabus is concerned, um, students need to be able to manipulate general purpose programming language, so a text-based code. Um, we, we have a, a sort of a, a sample system with sample code, um, but if, if I was delivering it, I wouldn't give the students that code from start to finish. I would sort of present the different elements of the code and talk about how the code would need to work for the program to execute properly, the sketch to execute. And I would let them play around with what order things need to be in and then go through a debugging process with them. Um, but when we're talking about skills that they bring, so we'd love them to bring some coding skills. You know, we'd love them to bring um, an understanding of how to conduct a scientific investigation from science. And so we're getting students to design their own. So hopefully they've had an experience like that at, at some point prior. If not, we've built in the supports around that to make that happen. But also it's another great opportunity for, you know, for um, colleagues within a school to talk to some of their other colleagues. How do you deliver this with your students? Um, it, it, we've aimed it at stage four, which is our year sevens and eights. Um, so we don't explicitly expect them to have a whole bunch of perfect skills moving into it. Because often as a high school teacher, we don't always know where our kids are at early on um, with what they bring with them from primary school. And so, you know, and any good teacher would would assess that as they roll through a unit of work with their students to make any adjustments, either um, upping the level of difficulty or winding it back a bit and putting some more scaffolds in if if the students weren't achieving at the at the level they're at. But you know, when it comes to following a design process, um, being able to do some research will be really handy to inform the process that they follow. Being able to sketch and communicate in various ways, whether it's verbally or, you know, through written descriptions to help communicate their ideas to their teammates, their teacher and anyone else that's helping them with the unit of work. Um, that There are some valued skill sets that would come across as well too. Um, within our syllabuses, we have... Um, we have cross-curricular skill sets, which include things like literacy and numeracy, but also critical and creative thinking where problem solving sits too. So, you know, we're hoping our students prior to getting to us have had opportunities to start developing those skills and then we will help support them to develop them further throughout the course of, of the unit of work that we've prepared. Is there anything else there you think, Andrew, that's a good prerequisite oh. skill for students? 
Um, coding um, was a thing that went to my mind first off. So having some familiarity with um, the Arduino, you know, ecosystem, it, being able to, to code it because we have kind of made uh, it, it, it and the CAD drawing section was we were kind of a bit tight for time so we were coming up with ways where instead of a typical unit being we're going to learn about coding arduinos for 10 weeks we kind of focused on what was the essential thing that we need them to be able to come up with so ideally if they've used it before that helps get them going quicker um, and, and saves a bit of time and I guess the other thing was um, fabrication. Mm -hmm. So if, depending on the level of skills that they have for fabricating their cube, um, you know, if they're, they're not up to speed with all other fabrication techniques, then you know, a cardboard prototype will still be a valid way of getting through this unit um, and getting some sort of result. Like, you know, they could achieve the same sort of outcomes without having to, you know, laser cut um, perspex or a bit of ply um, or, you know, head into the metal shop. So um, I guess the good thing is that the, the unit allows you to pick what level the students are at and adjust in those areas for where you either need to give some time or save some time. Look, part of our reflections too was around... You know, not every kid loves to code. We'd love every kid to code, but a reality yeah. is that, you know, some kids really dive into it deep. Others do it because they have to and don't enjoy it. So we wanted to have a unit of work that just wasn't 10 weeks of coding, like Andrew said, and we wanted to have some of those other experiences there. So ideally, we can form a, we can form a design team that has that that the kid in there, the boy or the girl that loves coding, and you've got the 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 girl in there who loves making stuff, who loves cutting up wood and joining it. But then we might have the boy, you know, as the third person in the group that is a great communicator and does beautifully laid out portfolio work. You know, so that's almost your perfect team. Yeah. You know, everyone brings a skill set and then we can help them work on some communication and project management skills mm -hmm. to come out the end with a with a great group project. Yeah, that's what I was also thinking when you mentioned that you would uh, like them to have some kind of coding skills, but then the collaboration and working in teams, not everyone needs to be mastering coding, mm -hmm. but uh, for the fact that you understand a bit of code is also a lot already that you can support and you can maybe design something, mm -hmm. even though you don't know how to exactly code it. I think if I interpret our syllabus properly, it's not about getting every kid to write general purpose code by the end of yeah. two years, but it's about getting the majority of the kids to look at a piece of general purpose code, like an Arduino sketch, and identify what things what things are happening where yeah. so that they can help with a debug or they can swap some things in and out and modify that code to get it to work better than what it does. Yeah. And, and I, I think, um, you know, I think a unit like ours can can help do that. Yeah, and to break down some kind of problem they have, the smaller pieces, for example, you understand, mm. okay, I need to first solve this, then I can move on to this issue. I don't have to solve everything at once. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. as much about the journey as it is the end product. Yeah. Mm. This won't be their only opportunity to code. So within their 
the, the two years that we've said that this unit could be run, there'll be other opportunities, other units. Um, this may well be a unit, a project that students go, oh, I could see some real use or application to this coding as opposed to just learning to, to code for the sake of it. Um, the fact that it's blended into to a, a much bigger process that has some real world applications hopefully will ignite um, some some passion for more and more students to um, persist and, and engage with coding. Yeah, coding with a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. With a goal mm -hmm. in mind. That That's helps. right. Yeah. Absolutely. A real world purpose. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you, yeah, you've both been talking about kind of the engineering design process. Why is it important? why this is uh, relevant for their future skills for the university if they want to study engineering or then even if they want a career related to space this is something that they can benefit from is there oh, sure. anything else that you would like to add about the prototype project yeah look I, I might just throw in too that as, as part of our research that we did before we wrote this we actually worked with a small startup in australia who had a contract with the defense force called thunderstruck space and they were doing work with high altitude balloons. So the one of the early ideations of our system and some of the thinking behind the, um, the investigations we've suggested that students run to prove that it's flight ready can demonstrate that their prototype is flight ready for a high altitude balloon. So things like the choice of battery that could be used to power the system decisions around writing to an SD card rather than using a short Wi-Fi or Bluetooth link or, or something like that. We've tried to create it such that a school could go out and find the local university that does high altitude weather balloon research and actually put one of their devices on there and send it to 30 kilometres high and get real atmospheric data research. And, um, you know, we're, we're really hoping that the trial that we're currently running with schools, we're hoping that we can work with some of our partners to, to give, um, maybe to run a small competition, you know, where the, either the best design or the best engineering report, we can actually send theirs up to, up to 30, 35 kilometres high, get some real data, but then also in turn share that data as sample data sets um, with schools that run the unit of work. Um, if they want to start playing around with some data that's different to what they've gathered in their school, you know, what is the temperature like at 35, degree, at 35 kilometres up? How does that compare to my school um, school yard that's at 280, uh, you know, metres above sea level? Uh, so that that's uh, just another, um, I guess that's another dimension that we've built into the unit of work as well too. Um, I may have tried to stick uh, a CubeSat in my vehicle and drive up the local mountain that's 300 metres higher than my house to try and see if I can gather some data. Um, I had some technological challenges that day, so it hasn't quite worked, but I will get back there. You mentioned the power, Matt. Um, mm. With this project, um, we actually also took another you know, deviation um, after we had that scenario sorted. Um, I, I, I was there one day thinking, doing the numbers, and if we were to actually have it as a CubeSat in satellite orbit, um, 
I realized that the typical battery pack wasn't going to last us very long. And we, we'd set a, um, a challenge of it to sit somewhere in the school recording weather data for two weeks. And when I'd done the numbers, I thought, oh, we're not going to get very far into that two weeks. So we came up with an alternate um, power supply solution, um, which kind of breaks away, I think, from the, the usual um, use of Arduinos that we see within classrooms anyway, where they're tethered to a computer and they're recording and, and they're powered by that method. Um, so we actually used a power timer chip to um, control the actual power um, protosat to be turned on. The Arduino gets turned on every 15 minutes, takes a reading and then goes back to sleep. And then 15 minutes later, comes back on, takes a reading, records it, goes back to sleep, um, which, which added some extra learning for us that we hadn't anticipated when we started mm. because, yeah, initially we were talking about a high altitude balloon flight, which goes up um, and a, four and hours. Yeah, six three, hours. three or four hours depending on conditions. So Comes it's not back something down. that we, we, we thought about. Mm. But we then started talking about power budgets and uh, the idea that, okay, well, how long can we make a set of batteries last? And it came up with this some interesting thinking that um, uh, you can uh, you you think of it in terms of readings. How many readings mm -hmm. does that set of batteries have? And that all depends on how often you turn it on and and then turn it off and wait. So you can mm -hmm. sort of like have a whole heap of readings in a short period of time, or you can have it over a longer period of time if you just spread out the readings. So that was just another interesting aspect. And um, and the power budget concept is so relevant to space flight as well because you've got limited space for battery anyway um and and you're relying on for most part some sort of solar so depending on how much power you can get in determines what you can do with it um so just another another example of how one of our challenges has ended up being another realistic one i thought i might also just touch on the sensors that we've that we've put on on our sample ones so we started off with a BMP chip, so which is it's measuring temperature and barometric pressure. Now, the beauty of something like the BMP280 chip is that we can actually use it to estimate um, altitude as well too. So it takes that um, barometric pressure reading and you can input the barometric pressure at your location and it will, it will run a, an algorithm which will estimate what your altitude is based in meters. And I think that's a really important thing to do because if we're, we're talking CubeSat, we need to know how high above the earth it is. Um, so we can we can do that realistically, even though it's, it's not a, a true um, measurement of altitude. You know, it's another learning experience. We can talk about formulas and, and doing calculations. So it allows us to throw a few more of the, the M for maths activities um, in the unit as well too. But other, other than that, um, barometric pressure, temperature and um, estimated altitude, we've also looked at things like um, humidity. We've looked at things like UV, UV light. And, um, you know, we, we could even put a, a measurement of radiation on there as well too. Um, and, and that activity, uh, the measurement of radiation activity is, is very common that you might see in those um, 
microcontrollers flown to the ISS type um, experiment that you see um, in various places around the place. I've got to mention that you mentioned altitude. Um, the other thing that we learned when we started, because I hadn't done altitude as a sensor reading with students, was when you have uh, altitude and you get the reading and then you see it fluctuate and you go, well, I know it's not going up and down because it's just sitting next to me right here on the desk. And it's like, well, there's another concept. We've got some noise that we've got to take into consideration and how do mm. we deal with those readings? This is a real-life example of, well, the temperature reading you might be getting is going to be pretty close, but there could still be some fluctuations within those readings. Um, we can see that because when we've got an altitude reading going with it, we can actually see that it's going up and down, but the thing's actually stationary. So uh, other little things that we can draw the teacher's attention to and then bring it to the students and say, well, how do we deal with this? And, um, you know, what what does that really mean? Uh, the idea of data being clean, we actually look at real data and, you know, messy data. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have really the chance to prototype yourself too <laughs> during this mm. product. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There's been a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is a very exciting project. Is, is there anywhere that people, our audience, can learn more about Protosat? Great, great question. Um, so, our sample unit of work um, went live on our department's website um, this week. So we've got the, the teacher um, unit of work program resource. So if someone was interested, they could go there and download the document. It's a public-facing website, and they could actually look through to see um, what our suggested learning activities um, are from start to finish. So it's a 10-week unit of work. Normally, it would be taught across, say, three-ish one-hour lessons a week for 10 weeks. So we've got about 30 opportunities to work with the students on this from start to finish. So it's um, it, it can be pretty rushed. But um, at, at this stage, um, we're, we've definitely got our our, uh, our first version published for, for people to check out if they're interested. Um, our contact details are on that web page as well. So, you know, if people would like to reach out and get in touch and have a chat with us about it more than more than happy to take the time to talk CubeSats and space. Thank you for today. We're going to add the link to your website to the article that yeah. you can find from our Edivision site. So everyone who's interested, go there and check the link and check super, all the resources. Yeah, super useful. Thank you so much for your time and for joining and for sharing what you were doing. It's, it's awesome. It's super exciting. Yeah, we're, we're excited too. Um, thanks, Melissa and Roxana, for the chance to, to have a chat with you today and, and talk about something that we're both very passionate about. Yeah, yeah we can see that. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And remember to check the Edvision Live episode with Matt Scott and Andrew O'Brien on Thursday, October 7 at 5 p.m. Central European Summertime. And you can join the conversation on our social media channels or doing on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Crowdcast or check the episode afterwards. Exactly. You remember that you can find the links from Arduino CC Education Education. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.